Well, Father, we praise you. We thank you in the name of Jesus for your mercy and your goodness towards us. We thank you, Father, that we're bought with a precious, precious price with the blood of Jesus. Holy Ghost, we invite you to come in your might, with your presence, with your holiness, with your strength, with your guidance, with your revelation, with your joy, to minister to us, that I may speak only your words, that you may move as you desire, that they may get their answer, that you may flow freely, and that the name of Jesus be exalted. We thank you, Holy Ghost, for coming. We worship you, Father. We worship you. We worship you in the name of Jesus. We worship you. We praise you. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. The church, the church, the church, the church, the church. It is all about the church. It is what Jesus died for to bring us into a special place, a divine relationship, an eternal relationship, an eternal, <clears throat> excuse me, promise, an eternal destiny to fellowship with him forever. The church is not a structure. The church is an organism. It is a living body. It is something orchestrated by God before the foundation of the world. It is something that he set in motion. He's decided the flow. And only he can decide when it stops. And he has already spoken and he has already said, this is for an eternity. And there are many who have been called to step into this walk. And many who've decided not to step into it. So a call goes forth to you who have heard the gospel and heard the word. That the time is short. And there is a way that seems right to you, but it is not the way. There is only one way, and his name is Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. There is none above him. There is none equal to him. All are below him, and all will bow before him. For he is the mighty one. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is divine justice. He is love embodied. He is the word of God, and there is none like him. Those who have been called and those who are listening at the sound of my voice. He has called you once and again and again. And now it is coming to a season where you will either turn to the left, turn to the right. For the decision time is now. You will find that if you walk away and you do not heed the voice. Heed the voice of the one being spoken to and what is being said. That you will find that you will be on the waste heap. You will find that you will... <coughs> You will find that you will walk with those who've sought after destruction. You will find that there is no hope for you. For what you serve is not of God. There is only one, and his name is Jesus, and he is eternal king. Father, we praise you. We bless you. We worship you. You know, the church is so important that, <laughs> that sometimes I think we, 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 we ignore or we don't fully appreciate or understand what it is and who it is that we are. Oftentimes I look at you and I say, oh, you're so beautiful. You're so, so wonderful. And the reason I say it is because it resonates in my heart as I stand here. Yes. It resonates in my heart and, and, and I see what the Holy Ghost sees. 
a people set apart, called, separated, special, unique, powerful, mighty, majestic, honorable, reverend. I see so much in my heart when I look out on the congregation. And I ask myself the question, is that the way you see yourselves? I think the enemy has duped many of you into thinking that you're not worthy of this call. And that you're not worthy of this place. You're not worthy of the separation. But when Jesus calls you worthy, no one else matters. Nothing else matters. And I will tell you that Jesus not only will um, strengthen, lift you up, and guide you, but there is a protection for the church that some who are coming against the church right now do not see and do not understand. As I was meditating and thinking about the scripture this evening and the word that, that, that would come forth, I, I kept thinking about a story that Pastor Craig had told me. And it was many years ago, um, and this is about protection, it was many years ago, and what had happened was um, there had been some transactions, some things done, and some people weren't happy, okay? And in their um, lack of joy, they decided to take it out on someone who was close to them. And the person who was close to them happened to be the pastor. Um, because they could turn to no other. You see, when people are desperate and they're looking for a solution, you know, oftentimes they turn to the one who loves them the most. You see, and they lash out. And this individual was lashing out. And I remember he called me, you know, at work and he said, this is what's happening. He goes, I, I am troubled by it. I am not happy. I don't know. I haven't done anything. I, but this person is attacking. And this person continued to attack. And, and we said, okay. And we'll just pray about it. He said, he said you know what, listen, I'll, I'll give them whatever they need. Just, you know, it doesn't matter. I'll take money out of my own pocket if, that, if that's required. Because, because I just don't need this attack. We don't need this attack. You know, I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. But I'll bail them out anyway. Doesn't matter. That was his heart. You see? But it didn't matter to the person on the receiving end. They wanted blood. And they wanted to attack. So, they get what they want. But in the midst of that, they say, well, I'm going to call one of the newspapers and I'm going to tell them this and I'm going to tell them that and I'm going to tell them lies and I'm going to tell them all these things. And he's like, this is ridiculous. Well, just put it to prayer and left it alone. What ended up happening was that person, someone very close to them, ended up passing away. I've seen it happen more than one occasion for those who have tried to attack the church, tried to attack him personally, tried to attack this ministry. He doesn't talk about it. Okay, he might oddly just kind of bring it up and just every so often say, here's kind of what you know, happened. David Hogan, is, I've watched it happen to him. I've watched where people were coming after him. And all he did was step back and say, Lord, I, I just fall on your mercy. I, I'm innocent and you know, and I'm just going to love them through it. And I've watched death come. There's something about the church that Jesus will not allow to be touched. That the Father will not allow things to come against you and for things to be exalted in your life and to destroy you. We must get an image and a picture of who we are in Christ. Jesus will defend you. There are some who are coming against you and are coming against uh, this, this ministry. And that's why the Lord had me talk about it. There's some who are coming against this ministry. And they seem to think this is a joke. This is a fairy tale. This is something that a bunch of guys or a bunch of women men are getting together and just pretending as though there is a presence. Pretending as though there is some God. Pretending as though, you know, this is all, you know, great. Everything's, you know, peaceful and joyful. And, and there is someone out there, but he's really not out there. And I, I want to tell you, you, you are mistaken. You are gravely mistaken. You touch this ministry 
ministry and it's Jesus you're dealing with. You touch this ministry and it's God the Father you're dealing with. I remember a story the Lord took me to one time. It was about this lady, murdered Harris Living Witness, right? And then there was a, a few other them. But, but you know, she was, she was a lady, a woman of God. She did, did done some great things for the Lord and was ministering. And some people decided that they were going to take it upon themselves to attack her, right? So what ended up happening was her pastor, um, a, a doctor, a medical doctor, I think it was a psychiatrist, and these two guys decided to kidnap her. And they all colluded to destroy her life. Long story short, she got out of it, she was saved, everything was, was, was fine, but they abused her all the way through. They beat her, they physically, you know, did all this stuff, in, you know, and in, 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 in she had to have surgery and so on. Long story short, she wakes up one night, and she's, after she's praying, she goes to bed and she wakes up. And as she gets up, the Lord said, I want you to pray for such and such. And she goes, who? The one that did this suit, I want you to pray for them. She goes, why, Lord? Because his plane is about to crash. She said, Lord, but it can't be. You're not, you're not that kind of, well, God, that's, that's not you. He says, I'm a God of justice. I decide his plane is going down. Pray for him. His life will not be spared. Everybody who touched her died. Judgment starts at the house of God. But it also starts out there for those who attack the house of God. So we can rest assured, saints, that as the things that are coming in the next days and weeks and months and years, that we are well protected. But we must see ourselves the way the Lord sees us. Cherish the church. You see, we, we must cherish this church. Cherish what God has given us in these pastors and these, these ministries. And we've got to cherish the church. Because I think some of us also have gotten waxed coal concerning this house of God. We come, we sit, and we take for granted the investment of the Spirit into your life. And I think the Lord is saying, saints, you've got to rise up. You have got to rise up. You have got to see yourself. I was thinking today, I said, Lord, there's some things I'm believing you for. And in the real scheme of things, they're kind of small. I said, but I'm believing for you, believing you, and, and they're going to come to pass. And I said, but Lord, you know, it's interesting because it's so on such a small scale that if I compare it to somebody falling down in front of me who's dead and I've got to raise them, it's, it's like nothing. Or if it comes to someone who's really injured and, and I've got to believe you for, for their deliverance, I, I said, it's, it's really nothing. You see? Yet, yet this little tiny thing was taking up so much of my time, so much of my mental, you know, attention. And, and the Lord was really getting over to me, is, is, Greg, it's not really that big a deal. It's really not that big a deal. We can magnify things sometimes beyond what it really is, you see? And I think the Lord is, is, is trying to tell us, you know, raise up, church, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up. It's time to rise up. It's time that we can't walk as kids no more. It's time that we cannot any longer walk as those defeated. It's lo no longer can we play around with the little things. No longer can we think finance is a big deal. No longer can we say, God, you can't do it. It's time to rise up and step into a destiny that was, that was, was framed and prepared for us before the foundation of the world. See, I was talking to my kids about some things, and I, and I said, okay, like, think about this. John the Baptist was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. John the Baptist, if we go through the scriptures, had not the miracles that Samuel, not the revelations that Samuel, not Isaiah, not Ezekiel, not Daniel, not Elijah, not Elisha, none of them. In any sense, he was not like that at all. 
Yet Jesus called him the greatest. Why did he call him the greatest? Because he was ushering the presence, he was ushering in Jesus. He had the privilege over all prophets, things which they desired to look into, things which they hungered for, he, they couldn't see. But John the Baptist ushered in his presence. He opened the door and said, he's coming, and he came through. There are others who prayed for them, of course there were. But John the Baptist delivered the message. We have been set by God to bring Jesus back. The generation that you are in shall see the coming of the Lord. God has set in his plan and decided that you were important enough that he would call you at the end of the age to usher in the coming and return of Jesus. Think about that. It is a privilege that no other generation can have. It is a privilege that all of them wanted to have. Yet, God has called you. Think about the honor. Think about it. For an eternity, they're going to look at you and say, you're the ones who bring him back. You're the ones who were on the earth when he, when he came back. What was it like? Tell me the stories. We heard some of them up here. But you tell me what it was like. Tell me what it was when you got to prayer. Tell me when you laid hands on them. Tell me when you spoke the word and things happened. Things changed. Miracles. The, tell me about the revival. Tell me about the leg that grew out. Tell me about the eye, that, with the blind eye that the person could not. Tell me about the arm that stretched. Tell me about these things. And tell me what it was like when you saw him and you went up. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, God's own special people. And you have been called to a call that many before you have wanted, but they didn't get. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Listen, I, I'm challenging you, but I'm challenging myself. You know, you're going to still say it's not important to get up in the middle of the night and pray when the Holy Ghost is beckoning you come? Right. Right. Are you still going to say when, you know, he's prompting you, a very gentle prompt to kind of say, go speak to that person. You're still not going to do it because you're afraid that they're going to reject you? Right. Think about it. Put it in context. Yes, sir. You are the church. Yeah. There is nothing that exists like you, nor ever will exist like you. You are the church. You are Jesus' own, bought with his blood. He saw you before the foundation. You are the church. Why are you quaking at the world? Why are you running away from them? Why when they insult you, you, you take it to heart and you run and you hide and you say, I'm no longer going to preach the gospel. You are the church. Who is like you? None. No one. They will paint you as losers. They will paint you as those who are de dejected and rejected. They will paint you as those who cannot achieve. They will paint you as the downcast, the, the, the rejected, the bruised, the poor. They will, they will paint you in any way that they can to make themselves look good. You are the church. There is none like you. None. When you get that, here because you're never going to get it in your head. You're never going to understand with your mind what it is that Jesus really did and who you really are. You cannot mentally grasp it. It is a revelation that must be caught. 
And when you catch that revelation, that's when you become like guys like David Hogan, who step out in the jungle and face demons head on and say, bring it, bring it, bring it, okay? It's this revelation, saints, which is the Pauline epistles that we so hunger and we must get into. The time, the time is spent, the time is past for us to just sit down anymore. I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you. The time is past for this bickering that goes on in the body. The time is past for these cliques that jump up and people who are, you know, gossiping about one. The time is past for that. No more. No more. You will see God's greater glory when you act the way he wants you to act. Amen. Yes, sir. Don't think that he's going to change his terms for you. He's not doing it. He changes for no one. Petty things. You're mad because the pastor said something that, you know, he said something and, you know, you got all offended. Now you're not coming to church. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. If I could tell you the stories, you see me all sweet up here? <laughs> if, 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 if I could tell you the stories of the things that I've had to endure to churches. If I could tell you the stories, the things that, I, that I've had to endure by ministers. If I could tell you the stories, the things that I had to endure from those who were supposed to love me. And much of you have similar stories. I don't talk about it though, because the cross of Christ was everything to me. He meant more than anything that could come against me. He meant more than the attacks, more than the gossip, more than the lies, more than the mistakes. He meant everything to me. I was talking to somebody recently and they said, you know, a certain person and they, you know, they left the church. I said, they did? I said, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, you know I, maybe I shouldn't have said what I said to them. And, you know, I, I, I'm beating myself up for it. And I looked at this person and said, that's ridiculous. I said, listen, you made a mistake. You shouldn't have said what you said. I said, you repent, move on. God's forgiven you. It's under the blood. Don't do it again. Learn from your mistake. That's it. Okay? Let's move on. But for them, well, you know, it hurt them and whatever. Yeah, that's right. It hurt them. Pray for them. Great. But for them, how much do you want him? How much do you want Jesus? How badly do you want him? They didn't want him badly enough. They think because their family over here has given them a little bit of hard time about going to church. Well, I've been there. Okay? They think because their friends, you know, walked away. Been there. Okay? They think because, you know, somebody might have said something to you wrong. Been there. You think because you're going through challenges at work and you think everything was supposed to be hunky-dory when you got saved. Been there. You see? We've all been there. In one way or another, haven't we? But we want him more. And this is what this is about. We want him more. We are the blood washed. We are the church of the redeemed. There is none like us, nor will there ever be. We want him more. So we will search after him with all our heart. We will search after him in the midnight hour. We will call unto him and we will push him and let the foolishness drop. Religion. Religion. Religious. Christians are some of the most challenging people to deal with. Because they come in 
with their preconceived notions and hoity-toity nose up in the air as though they got it all together. This is not God's way, saints. This is not God's way. I sat down with a man recently. I like, I like the guy. Like, I'll tell you, I like him. He's a nice man. I like him. We get together. You know, I don't get together like, like you know, go out and have coffee. But when I see him, we're, we're talking, right? Found out recently that he took off. He left the church. I'm like, what, what do you do that for? Right? And, and he said, well, you know, um, listen, if you're watching, you know, fine. You know, it's a story I'm going to give. If you're not watching, maybe better. Okay? Um, but, you know, you're going to hear it because I'm going to talk straight because that's what I do. All right? That's what I do. All right? And, and he, he decided that he didn't like the fact that we were selling some stuff in the bookstore. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I'm thinking, you walked away from your destiny because you didn't like what we're selling in the bookstore? It's ridiculous. It's baby stuff. You know? Well, you know, the pastor said something and, you know, he didn't say it, you know, in a certain way in a certain time. And so, you know, he decided that, oh, that was another thing against him. So now I'm not, you know, I'm not coming to church. I'm like, really? You're going to walk away from your destiny from God, where God set you, a place he set you to do something? You know what I said? I looked at him and said, you know what? It's always about us all, isn't it? It's always about what I can get. I come to church to see what I can get. Yes, you should come to church to get a revelation, but it's not always about what you can get. How about you giving something to somebody? What do you have to give? What do you got to give? There's so much God has placed within you that you think it's all about what you're going to get from the person sitting beside you instead of thinking, how can I bless them? I remember my wife used to, you know, she does this, and, you know, sometimes I'm like, will you stop doing that? You're just giving away everything. But, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know there, was a, there was a guy here years ago, and, and, you know, she would just give him, you know, a, a card for coffee. Something simple. Just coffee card, you know. And that man, just before he died, was mentioning that coffee card. Something simple. Something simple. And then you get all over her. Sorry, I, I haven't even really gotten my notes yet, but I'll get there, right? You know, and, and, and then you get all over her. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I'm not going to cry before you because I, I'm going to hold it in. But I know what you suffer. I, and it ain't right. It's not right. I, what she has on her plate is enormous. And what she does with what she has on her plate is nothing short of miraculous. I, I can't understand how people... Uh, you know, I have something to say about everything. You know, it, it's not right. Saints, come on. We've got to love one another. We've really got to pour our heart out to one another and love one another. We've got to forgive one another. We've got we to stop this gossiping stuff. This is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of the church. This is not what he wants for this place. And I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to a whole bunch of people out there who are in church who think they got it all together. Okay? But auntie speaks to uncle about what happened in the service today and said, the pastor didn't do his thing, right? Didn't he, you know? He wasn't so anointed today, you know? You know, or, you know, mother speaks to child, and, you know, you know, I don't like that lady in the church or whatever. And he said, yeah, what did you just sow into your child? Right, come on. You know, what do you do? I can easily tell where, where parents have been talking about the church and talking about the pastors and talking about the leaders when their kid gets around. You know why? Because the kid acts out. The kid gets an attitude. Okay? And you know they've been listening to something that mom and daddy have been saying at, at home. 
It ain't right. I ain't talking about the church in front of my kids. My wife and I don't do that. Why? Because the church is too important. Church ain't perfect, but it's too important. See, it's the body of Christ, corporately and individually, too important. Right? So what? We're going to know where we're set and we're going to fit in and we're going to do our thing. That's what we do. You see, oh, let me talk to you about something else. And not, not in my notes. Not in my notes. Stop searching for a position that God has not given you. He hadn't set you someplace. Stop trying to get it. Why are you worried about it? Well, you know, I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that and I... So? So did I. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Why are you looking for a position or a place that God hadn't set you? <laughs> foolishness. It's foolishness. It really is. You know? We come, we set, we line up, we move. We come, we set, we line up, we move. There's a story about um, John G. Lake, and he's talking about, um, I think it's the, um, it's, it's, I think, where was that? Was it Portland? I think it was Portland. And, and he was there praying, and, and all of a sudden the Lord took him up, and he, he saw the church where he was at, and he saw this, this thing like shockwaves up in it, and the Lord took him up, and he saw line upon line upon line upon line of demons. And he said, and, the, and there was just like this invisible force that was around the church. And he said, the demons all lined up in order, and they would come like a shockwave, boom, to try to get through this force. They'd go back, they'd go back, the next group would come, right behind them, boom, try to get through this force. They'd go back, the next group behind them, boom. And they were, they were just line upon line upon line. They're all together, and it was like a regiment moving in, in unison as one. Try to get through the hand of God that was protecting the church, which is impossible. Yeah. Right? But they would do it anyway. Think about if demons can line up and agree on some stuff, yet the church members can't, do, can't agree with some stuff. Let me put it in context. Demons can agree, but the church members have an issue doing it. Where does that put us, saints? Where does that put us? We've got to grow up. We've got to grow up. Okay, let me get to a scripture. <laughs> Colossians 1, 9 to 18. And, and I'm going I'm to go through this, you know, I don't know how fast, but. For this reason, we also, since the days we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, Fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Who qualified you? The Father has qualified you. Who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. He has qualified us. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, 
All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You read that until it gets you memorize it, and you meditate on that until it gets down in your heart, and then you will realize what you have and realize who you are. This is about Jesus, the king and the mighty warrior who took it all for us, who bought it all for us and put us and allowed us to go into the kingdom because of what he paid, the price that he paid. Saints, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Glorify Jesus. And when you glorify him, you act right. You're going to act right. The church is not a structure. It's not a structure. It is a living organism made up, of, made up of, uh, of people, living stones. He shed his blood on the cross for it. He gave ministry gifts to it. He set believers in it with specific roles and responsibilities. He gave them gifts to function in it. He gave his word, the Bible, to instruct it. He sent the Holy Spirit to guide it. He adds to the church daily those who are being saved. He protects the church. He's coming back for it. Amen. And I asked you the question, are you ready? Are you ready, saints? Are you ready? Praise the Lord. How you treat the church and function within it will determine your success in this life and your rewards in the next. Can you say that again? To put in context? How you treat the church and function within it will determine your success in this life and your rewards in the next. What you do here matters. More than black lives, more than, <laughs> that's what I do. more than, you know, all kind of Indian lives, high lives, you know, more than every kind of life there is out there. Not politically, not politically correct, but okay. Um, it matters. It matters. You see what you do here. It matters that you're serving. It matters that you, you're assist. It matters. I'll go over to um, um, 1 Thessalonians 2. It says this. I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. It says this. But we, are, we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. This is Paul speaking to the church. He's speaking to the Thessalonica, the church of Thessalonica. Okay? And he's saying that you were dear to us. He had ministered to them. He had done things for them. But they had a special place in his heart. That word dear to us is a Greek word. And, and it's, it's agapetos, which means beloved, esteemed, dear, and worthy of love. So good. This is how he saw the church. Beloved, well-loved, dear. Very early in Greek history, this word was used to describe the admiration that a man had for an object of beauty. That word dear. But it wasn't just an old art object. In fact, the idea behind this word was that the object was so intensely beautiful that it drew affection out of the man's heart. Kind of like my wife did when I met her. The, the, the onlooker or observer of this beautiful work of art was so taken by the object that he, he couldn't simply look at it. He put a ring on it. No, he didn't say that. He, he, <laughs> that, he, that, 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 that he couldn't simply look at it. He gazed upon it and became affected by it. Deep admiration and appreciation came out of his heart because he was so moved by what his eyes beheld. 
He didn't have the words to adequately, he didn't have the words to adequately express all that he felt because of the beauty of this object. So I got to, you know, go to some of the museums over in, in Italy um, and a few other places, whatever. But um, I, was, I was in one of them and you saw the arts of the, of the masters, right? These, these you, know, yeah. you know, these ones who, who, who drew things that were just, am and painted things which were just amazing. And you actually, when you're sitting there in front of some of them, it really looks different when you're looking at it than when you saw it on television, right? And you, you, you kind of get captivated by it. You're like, wow, that's really neat. How could they paint? That is just amazing. I'm amazed by artists, okay? People can draw, you know, like, like Corinne here. I'm just amazed by it, right? And you look at it and you're just kind of staring at it. And people would do that. They'd go by the, the, these pieces of artwork and they would stare at it and they would look and they would stare. And they'd sit there like this and they'd just kind of look in and they're looking and they're, and they stay there for a long time looking. They're appreciating, they're gazing, they, they can't express how much on the inside. So that this is what, how Paul saw the church. See, and he didn't just see the church, it's not just a you know, promise of life church, it's the individual members in the church that make up the body, you see? So we cherish the body. Um, the Greek word for cherish, cherish or cherisheth, okay? It says, but we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. That's the Greek word thalpo. It is the same word that's used in Ephesians 5, 25 to 29, when explaining the relationship between a husband and a wife. Okay? It means to warm or keep warm. Um, probably akin to the word brood over, like a hen would brood over something. To brood over. Um, it means to foster with tender love and tender care. This is the church. And this is how they saw the church. Go over to, and, and I, don't, I was debating whether I put this in, but go over to Ephesians 5.22. Go to Ephesians 5.22. Okay, I got to give you a word now, okay? And you have to use your Bible. I don't hear any pages turning. Where's the book? Sue, let me see your Bible. Okay, see who else has not got one here. No, I won't do that. <laughs> let me hear the pages turning, saints. You got to get into this word. It's our lifeline. Now, this, this Ephesians 5... Um, 22 to 32 talks about the relationship between a husband and wife. The reason I'm talking about it is because it's talking about the church, okay? I didn't, I don't, I'm trying not to get into husband, how you treat your wife, wife, how you treat your husband, right? That's not the reason I'm reading this. But just let it, you know, let it suffice to say this. You know, wife, don't slap him up. Husband, don't touch your wife. Or we're going to bring you into church and we're going to have some guys beat you up. Don't do that, okay? Um, you know, don't yell at one another. Um, walk in love. Guy, take the hit. You know, wife, you know, control the household. You do that, forgive one another, all is well. Okay? All right? I, I just, so, so don't focus anymore on the wives and the husband. Just, just focus on the church, okay? Because that's what I'm talking about in this relationship here. So it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I mean, again, just skip over that, okay? Pastor explained it. Um, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. That's what I want you to look at. Christ is the head of the church. Okay? And he is the savior of the body. We are the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so who's the church subject to? Christ. We're not subject to the world. Okay? And that's why the world can't destroy us. That's why all the laws that they make, the Bible will still exist, will still continue on, and so will the church until Jesus says, enough is enough. Come on up. 
okay? They can't come against the church, okay? And survive. Jesus will, will, will defend us. So that the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, for her. A sacrificial love, okay? Jesus gave himself for the church. I'm trying to paint the picture of how special you are to the Lord, okay? And how he founded you for a divine, his godly purpose, right? And how you have a task and a work and a job to do and how we must take it seriously and throw off the weights and the sins which that so easily beset us and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our, of our faith, okay? And I probably skipped, you know, probably put two different scriptures together, but it got the point across, amen? All right, okay, so... <laughs> Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So when I got married, you know, I did myself up. I looked good. I shaved, you know, put on some cologne, deodorant, you know, had my hair trimmed down, nice fade I had and everything else, right? You know, I, 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 made, sure I made sure I got in shape, you know, so when I put on my suit, you know, I look good. Right? And, and I'm sure most of you guys did that too. I know Junior did that, right? You know, so, you know, so, so that's what we do. My wife went 100 times more than me. Okay? Got the nails done. You know, toenails, fingernails. You know, she said she didn't, but she did. Got toenails and fingernails, you know. Um, you know, had her hair done. You know, had the makeup done. You know, was getting herself in shape, you know, prior to, to the wedding and all that. Put on this beautiful dress, looked beautiful you know, walked down the aisle, and she presented herself to me, okay? She put a lot of effort and work into it, right? It was just a day, but it was important, and it was special, right? We are the church. We're the bride of Christ. He does not want to come back for schisms. He does not want to come back to denominational differences, okay? He doesn't want to come back to weak, lowly, and can't do the things that he's, he, he died for. Right? That's not what he's coming back for. So something must change between the state of the church today and when Jesus comes back. That is why for this particular denomination, he has given a couple of years for us to get in order. Because God knows what people are like. They procrastinate. So he has given us time to prepare. If you don't prepare, then you will be left on the sideline. So it's like a sport game now. People think they don't have to practice. I played a lot of soccer, as I'm sure you can tell. Um, you, know, you, know, you know, people got to practice. And so we spent hours on the field practicing. By the time we got to the game, we were good. Those guys who did not practice had to sit on the bench because they couldn't run 90 minutes. Okay? So, so you've got to prepare for this match that's about to come up. And you have to start today. The guys who tried to start halfway in the season were still sitting on the bench because they ain't taking my spot. I'm further ahead and I got a flow going. You see? more you play sports, there's muscle memory involved. So as you're playing it, even though you're physically in shape, you're more attuned to the flow of the game. 
you're more attuned to your body. It's physically more in shape. And there's things that your body does to get you through, you know, as you're playing. And then all of a sudden, things become like this. It's just natural. I've practiced heading the ball so much that by the time the ball just gets blasted at me, re reflect, you know, just reaction, bang, head it this way, okay? It, it's just like that. You don't even think about it. Right? Ball comes, you know, it's coming, someone's coming there. You can hear the steps of somebody behind you as the ball is coming towards you. Why? Because you've tuned yourself to the game. So I can hear this. I know somebody's coming. And you can almost feel him. So as the ball comes, it's like, I know he's there. I can feel him here. I touch my hand. I can feel her. Bring the ball down. And I'm turned. And he's still there. Okay? Because I'm attuned to the Guys who don't practice a lot, they don't know that. They're like, okay, the ball's here. So, you know, I remember I used to go to U of T and I used to play with some of the guys who don't play often, right? They're just kind of hacking around. And it's like, you know, 10 guys on this side, 10 guys on that side. We're just playing a little game. And I went all through the 10 of them, put the ball in the back of the net. Because they don't play often, so they think they're good. So you just go like, one fake there, and the guy's gone that way, and you're gone this way, right? You know, you know one good one, you're walking, you're running down to the guy, you go like this over the ball, and he, he goes that way, and you're gone this way, right? Or they come up to you like this, and you just put the ball through their legs, and you go around the other side. Because, because, because you're, you know, Joanne knows what I'm talking about, because she's the play too, right? So, so you get attuned to the sport, and, and there's a rhythm that goes, right? It's the same thing. If you don't start preparing now, when this wave really hits, you're not going to be in the position for, to, for have the power of God flow through you the way He wants to. Because you wouldn't have attuned yourself to the move of the Spirit. You see? Because the Holy Spirit is so gentle. I'll tell you something. He will not force you. He will not force you. If you choose to die tomorrow, He would have told you it ain't a good thing to do, but He ain't stopping you. He'll send people across your path, okay? But if it's your decision, He ain't putting it and said, okay, I'm taking the knife out of their hand and I'm taking the gun away from them and I'm going to lock them up so they can't move. He's not going to do that. He doesn't work that way, right? He won't. God said, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that you and your family might live. That's why people die and go to hell. But the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering. Right? It's our decision. So if the power can't flow through you because you're still, we're still acting carnal or we're still too soulish, um, you're going to miss out. And, but the thing is, the plan of God is still going to go ahead. The plan of God is still going to go ahead. You can't stop his momentum once he says, I'm, I'm, that's it. There are some things that he has ordained will happen, and they will happen no matter what you, whether you agree with it or not. Yeah, that's right. Whether you decide to participate or not, it's going to happen. And that's why he said to Moses, hey, let me just get rid of all of them, and I'll raise up you know, nations out of you. Because he was well able to do it. You see, his plan is going forward. We have to ask, ask ourselves the question, do we want to be a part of that plan? Amen? Okay, so verse 27, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The Bible says, be holy, for I am holy. Holiness is something that trips people up big time. When asked, they asked Pastor Nancy, they asked um, Dr. Hagen, when asked, why is it that in the olden times, in the 20s, 30s, and so on, early Pentecost, that there was such a move of the Spirit and that the power of God would flow, and it doesn't happen so much today? And the simple answer is, they were more consecrated than we were today. 
They were more holy than we are today. There are things that they would not do. I'm not bashing movies. You know, I got someone a movie pass recently, so I'm gonna bash movies, okay? You know, it, it, you just gotta watch the right movie, right? If you're gonna go. And I don't have any issue with that, and I don't think the pastor has any issue with that either, but um, there's some things you can't watch. With Netflix, you know, Amazon Prime, you know, cable TV, IPTV, um, you can get 10,000 channels anytime you want. And there's a whole host of other things. And if you're watching regular TV, stuff comes up on the screen, you're like, oh, I can't even watch. I can't even believe that's on the screen. I cannot believe that's on the screen, right? The generations of old had a separation where they separated themselves from the world. You know, holiness. See, they separated them. I'm not going to go to the movies. Yeah. I'm not going to go down to the bar. You know, I had plenty of that back in the day. I don't do that anymore. I'm saved and sanctified and separated. Any of you who are should be doing, this, doing that either, okay? Just, just as an FYI, right? Um, it's, you know, I you know, uh, shouldn't be going to the, to the bar. Shouldn't be watching certain things on television. Shouldn't be speaking certain ways. Shouldn't be hanging out with certain people. There is a holiness, holiness that is required of us in order for us to contain the glory. And without that, you're not going to get it because God is not going to compromise. He's not going to change His standards to suit you. He's just not going to do it. So we might as well line up with Him and separate ourselves. The other thing, and Pastor Nancy had said this recently, um, she said, you know, I found that as I you know, got up in, in the morning and I consecrated my day to the Lord, that I saw him more involved in the things that I was doing yes. and his power flowing more into yes. things and different avenues. And the reason for that was because she consecrated her day to the Lord. She dedicated her day and then she would go throughout her day being mindful of the fact that God was with her. How many of us get up and we say, Lord, this is your day? Now, I'll tell you, probably the majority of us, it's probably 90%. The 10%, I don't know who you are, and the 90%, I don't know who you are either, right? You know, but the majority of us probably don't do that. Why? Because you know you're going to do something you shouldn't be doing, all right? You know you might say something you shouldn't be saying, right? So you don't actually get up and say, I'm going to consecrate myself, and, and you know, I'm going to act perfect today, Lord. I'm just going to think. Most of us don't do that. But I'm telling you, what is required for what is coming we're going to have to start doing that. Yeah. We're going to have to start really saying, Lord, I'm consecrating this day to you, and then thinking about God throughout the day. There was a book by Brother Lawrence many years ago. It was called Practice the Presence of God. Excellent book. He was a monk back in, I don't know, 14th, 17th century, something like that. Okay, and he used to have a lot of work to do. And his work was, you know, peeling potatoes. That was his job, a bunch of stuff. And a different chores. Didn't have time to pray. Never had time to pray, because he was always doing chores. So he cultivated the practice of, of presence of God. He cultivated by thinking on God as he went throughout his day. See? When you do that, you step into a place, and this is what the Lord said to me, you, you'll step into a place <clears throat> where you see him more. I, and I remember when I first got saved, born again, man, I cut everything and everyone off because I wanted him so bad. I wanted Jesus. I wanted to see this glory. I wanted to see this power. I wanted to know him. I had, I had given up everything <clears throat> from a world standard for him because I knew in my heart it was, it, he's all I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And so I did it. 
And so I separated myself. And when I did that, I would be driving down the street. And I'd hear the Holy Ghost say, do you know, da 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 I'm like, what? Do you know such and such and such? I'm like, really? They said, why are you telling me that, Lord? Just because. I said, okay. All right. Thank you for that. I'd just be walking places and the Lord said, you know that person over there? I said, yeah. He goes, they're going to do this and that and that and this one's going to do that and that friend's going to do that. I'm like, really? He said, yeah, so just be careful of that. I said, okay. All right, Lord. Just like that. Out of the blue, I'd hear him for, for, for stuff because I wasn't watching television. I wasn't going out anymore. I was reading my Bible, going to church and praying and working. That's what I was doing. Right? And I was living a life. I was exercising a lot because I like exercise. Right? So I was doing that. That's it. Right? And it, it allowed me to cultivate his presence. And I could hear him so just like a pin drop. Right? And, and I remember even, you know, just prior to get, getting married, the same thing. There was someone who, some challenges. And I, and I remember sitting there. And this person was, was, doing, was doing some stuff. You know, they were doing some stuff. And I sat there and I heard the, you know, someone said, oh, okay, you know, they're going to be fine. I heard some news about they're going to be fine because you know, they're in some very serious danger, right? And they could have lost their life. And I heard the Holy Ghost say to me, they're not coming out. I said, what? He said, they're going to die. I said, really? He's, I said, but, but Lord, everyone's saying you know, everything's going to be good. He said, they're going to die. They're not coming out. I said, okay, all right. Well, lo and behold, they didn't come out. They died, right? Why is God telling me this stuff? Either it impacts me, or he's teaching and training me for stuff. He's training me to how to pick up things in the spirit. There is a tuning in the spirit that happens when you spend time with God. Um, so I remember this missionary was talking about it. Pastor Craig and I were talking about it as well, my wife also. And Pastor Jenny, I always mention Pastor Craig, but don't mention Pastor Jenny. And we talk a lot too. Um, mighty woman of God. Um, and... The missionary said that, you know, as he was in, uh, you know, someplace overseas, he walk in, walked into a store, and there was all this stuff, and, but he couldn't, the trinkets, but he wasn't sure what it was. It was really bothering him. It felt heavy in the store, but he couldn't figure out. And then he was like, oh, that's witchcraft. That's witchcraft. Because I've experienced that on such and such an island, and, I, and because he was around it a lot, his spirit had fine-tuned to witchcraft. It resonates different than perversion. There's a different frequency in your spirit. Why? When I'm walking around, I can identify it. There's some, I can identify people. I'm listening. Don't walk around and say, okay, that one's doing this and that one's doing that, okay? You know, and, and God ain't going to tell me everything, all right? Um, but I'm talking about when people come by me who are really involved in perversion, I can pick it up in my spirit, okay? Um, when people come by me who um, are really involved in anger and wrath, I know it. And there's other things you've learned along the way, you know, that because you've been certain places and done certain things, you're you can hear the frequency of it. That does not come because you spend all the time reading love novels or, you know, these other kinds of magazines and all this kind of stuff. It comes because you spend time with God. Okay? And so when you get around those things, something goes off on the inside of you, and it doesn't even have to be the Holy Ghost telling you. It just rings the frequency, and you know what it senses like in your spirit. We must cultivate His presence. And the only way you cultivate His presence 
is by spending time with him. There is a move coming that you are going to be a part of and that your part is important. Extremely important. Right? So we start preparing ourselves from today. We don't do what one of my kids do. Brilliant. Like, just brilliant. Like, they're all brilliant. But, you know, dad's going to talk that way anyway. But, but they're all brilliant. Right? But one of them, and she knows who she is, <laughs> does not do anything until the last minute. And then she will ace it, get 98, 90-something on it, but she'll do it again the next time. And when it's coming up again, she'll be like, okay, yeah, I'll get to that. Yeah, I'll get to that. And all of a sudden, she's up till 3 o'clock, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And she'll get through it, and she'll ace it, and she'll get 90-something again. Right? I keep saying, why do you have to wait till the last minute and you put it, walk around all stressed out and trying to drink tea at your age or coffee or whatever to stay awake so you do your work? <laughs> Go to bed early, get up early, do your work early. You've got two weeks to do it. You know it's coming. It's not a surprise. <laughs> it's not a surprise. Right? But they still do it. Right? <laughs> After a while, you'll get to a level... When you're in public school, when you're in high school even, you can probably get away with that. You tried doing that in university. And I didn't know many people could do it. I had one friend, you know, he was, he was so brilliant that he would do, you know, calculus watching television and come out and get 90-something on his exam, right? Because he was just that smart, right? Um, but, but, you know, you, most people, you got to get up there, right? So, again, the analogy, don't wait till it's too late. And then you find yourself... Rushing and running to try to catch up. And by then, you know what God had in store for you? Someone else took it. Someone else took it. You don't want that to happen. Someone else took it. I'll end with this last story. A minister, he, um, uh, God had told him to do something. And so, you know, he goes to this church. And it's a true story, right? And he goes to the church. And he's sitting in the church. And he's looking and he's listening. And then he asks to speak to the pastor after, Right? Goes to the pastor. Um, pastor says, hey, what, you know, what can I do? He goes, can, can I bring something to you later today? Later tonight? And he goes, yeah, yeah, we're having a second service. Yeah, bring it. So the church was massive. And so this, this pastor brought, this, this man brought to the pastor of the church this document. And the document, when he opened it up and showed it to the pastor, the pastor said, oh, yeah, 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 that's my church. That's my church. And the man said, yeah, God told me to build it. But I didn't. I was afraid to do it. I, ha- I didn't have time. I-, I made all excuses. And so you built it. God is not going to wait for you. He's not going to wait for you. He won't wait for any of us. So what are we going to do? We are going to prepare ourselves for what's about to come. Because we are the church. The body of Christ. There is nothing like us that will ever exist again. There is no one as powerful as as the church. We belong to Jesus. He alone is king. He alone is God. We have a divine right to expect because we belong to him. Because we live in his kingdom. We have the authority conferred upon us by him. So we shall fear no man. We shall fear nothing. We shall walk in love. We shall walk in joy. We shall walk in peace. We shall walk in the Holy Ghost and practice the presence of God daily. Amen? Praise God.